Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from South Africa is the CEO of BP Southern Africa, Ms. Tylo Mojapilo. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Dr. Malka. It's a pleasure to um, engage you today and welcome to the listeners as well. I have been really excited to have this interview with you, looking at how your career has evolved and, and the point that you're at today. During your career, you've occupied several operational as well as senior leadership positions with multinational corporations, the likes of Mondelez International, South African Breweries, Kellogg's, and DHL Excel. Please, will you walk us through some of the milestones in your journey so far? Thank you, Dr. Malka. I often walk people through my journey and not just the leadership journey. So, I mean, I'm an undergraduate alumni of uh, the University of KwaZulu-Natal. That's where I started my education. And while I was there, I really wanted to find myself at either an Ivy League or um, a prestigious UK university. And my story into that world is one of failure and courage because I applied for a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford University. That was my first choice and I didn't get it. I didn't give up and I eventually got a scholarship into Cambridge University to study environmental engineering. And uh, it was really exciting for me because I actually had achieved something in the face of failure and just the courage to get up and do it again. I then got into the workplace and again, I found myself deep in an environment that's extremely male dominated. And I just told myself, I need to get the courage to actually be bold and chart my destiny on my own. Yes, it's all about building relationships as well. But the interesting part is I found myself having to build very strong relationships with males in order to be able to break the barrier. And um, I must say I did. So at a very young age, I found myself running the the biggest uh, warehouse at the time of SAB Miller. And uh, I was this young female very challenging at the time. But again, I said, as I progress, I will make mistakes. And from those mistakes, I do learn. And uh, it was a very exciting experience. I grew quite a lot. And then I got into the world of supply chain, which is very different from, you know, the science and engineering that I'd grown up in. Um, And I had to go and study again. So I studied supply chain and then I did an MBA at Uh, Gibbs University, which is the Gordon Institute of Business Science here in South Africa, and um, then got into leadership roles. And I must say, it's been a very rewarding experience. And um, I always say, you know, I would like more women to come through. And I want to make sure that my role is to ensure more and more women do come through. You certainly have an admirable role. One of the elements that you spoke about was your navigating relationships with men. Please, can you share some of your pointers on how to get things right? 
I don't think there's a right and wrong answer. And I'll probably just give you a few pointers. I mean, I started my leadership journey at a time in South Africa when boardrooms knew they had to transform, but the will was probably lacking and there was seemingly a fear of inclusion. Yes, we have made significant progress, but the one thing I found was over time, you then realize that the people that are probably not giving the access are probably not well-educated themselves. And hence, I always say, the fight for female emancipation and uh, gender equity, and I'm very deliberate when I speak, not equality, but equity, For a long time, women have led that battle and, you know, have taken the lead in making sure that there's sufficient advocacy around it. But I think we would do a lot better if we can bring men along. And I have found almost in all instances at the time I started my leadership journey, I was just getting into my 30s. And you're often seen as, oh, she's quite young. She will just listen to us. She doesn't have much of a say. And you need to be bold and courageous, but also at the same time, find yourself a sponsor, find yourself a mentor. There's so much value in coaching and mentorship in order to help you navigate some of those challenges. But the relationship dynamic with men, I often find that gets onto a level playing field when you are actually very clear about what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. And you'll be amazed how, by demonstrating and walking the talk in terms of what it is that you will do and the values by which you live, you start to get that respect. And it shouldn't be the case because we need to actually embrace the diversity and one doesn't need to have to work that hard in order to get onto an equal footing with their male counterpart. Those are great points of advice. Thank you. Turning towards your current role, can you tell us about some of your plans for BP Southern Africa? I joined BP um, and the industry, by the way, in 2020. And this was a time where we faced several challenges. The oil price was at an all-time low. Demand had naturally fallen off the cliff because, you know, there was no air traffic. The roads are empty. Everybody is isolating at home because of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. And that in its own created significant anxiety. In addition, for us globally as an organization, the the strategy had recently changed, recognizing the need to adopt a net zero um, agenda. So all these changes meant what likely worked before needed to be reviewed. So quickly got to work with my team and I, I never achieve anything on my own. It's all about teamwork. And we crafted a local framework of how we would like to participate. And in South Africa, we currently operate over 500 retail sites. And through our trading arm, we trade fuel into the other Southern African markets. And our key focus areas, you know, I just like to broadly cover it and say, you know, the key focus areas for us is to ensure that we are in a market leading position to enable mobility. And by enabling mobility, we want to be able to also advocate and influence for cleaner energy sources. However, we recognize that we operate in a region that largely has an energy deficit. So we want to make sure that as we enable mobility, we enable it with the right fuel mix for the region that we operate. And by that, I mean, it's, we obviously know um, EVs are moving at, at pace in the developed world. 
And, you know, in the southern part of Africa, it, I always say you've got to actually look at the whole carbon emissions in, in its entirety. And if you're going to move to electric vehicles, but you're producing energy from coal, you actually are not achieving the aim of mitigating the, the negative impacts of climate change. So you want to be able to participate along the energy value chain. And those are some of our priorities, but also importantly for us, because we enable mobility. We want to make sure that we deliver convenience solutions. So, I mean, you know, you'd want a consumer to think BP at any point that they need fuel for mobility, but also on their, as part of their customer journey, if somebody does require bread and milk, you want to be able to be, to, to be the convenience stop and choice. So you actually want to end up building convenience hubs. And so those are some of the exciting things that we are actually embarked on and uh, we hope to grow from strength to strength. Your industry, though, is certainly challenging when you think about managing energy, which is a consumable, and at the same time trying to adhere to good sustainability practices and producing cleaner energy. So you've got a lot of uh, tensions, I would imagine, that are interplaying. Absolutely. Um, we have quite a few tensions that I play. And I think for us in you know, this part of the world, and probably Africa at large, one of the biggest tensions you have is a general energy deficit. And we need to make sure that we provide energy to as many people as possible before you actually get into newer mobility types. And this requires a lot of advocacy to make sure that everybody understands the impact of climate change and how do we all go along together in what we've now termed, you know, the just energy transition. So we do recognize that we need to move to cleaner energy, but we need to make sure that we do that in a manner that's responsible. And you can imagine that the liquid fuels value chain is a significant employer. And how do you make sure that as you move, you move along in a manner that doesn't actually destroy economies and you know, increase unemployment. So those are some of the things that we are seized with, trying to make sure that we unpack them and proceed in a responsible manner. You've certainly highlighted some of the challenges that come with your position. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Turning more mm. towards some aspects concerning the dynamics of a woman in leadership, a few years ago, the University of Stellenbosch's business school created a, a report which demonstrated that in 2008, only 14% of JSC directors were women. In 2017, this had increased marginally by six percentage points to 20%. Additionally, 80% of women on corporate boards are non-executive directors. Only 14% are executive directors. When I see those types of dynamics, it tells me that there is an absence of women holding senior executive posts in companies. Oil and gas firms like BP are traditionally male-dominated, yet you, as well as your predecessor, are women. 
BP seems to have made this conscious decision about transformation and inclusivity in its workforce. Please, can you tell us what you were doing to get this right? As an organization, this is one organization that I believe is actually quite deliberate about it. So this was one of the key factors that actually influenced my choice to move into BP. And what I've picked up initially about the organization is there's a deliberate effort to make sure that there is sufficient inclusion and you know going over and beyond. However, if I then look into the BP Southern Africa environment, we operate in an industry that's very male-dominated and a country that is also still very male-dominated in terms of um, leadership positions, uh, development opportunities, and getting you know, females climbing up the corporate ladder. And we have taken a conscious decision to actually include diversity, equity, and inclusion as well into some of our key performance ind- indicators. And we are quite deliberate about it. You'll see actually in our statistics that we actually make sure that we have what we call rules of the road when we are recruiting to ensure that wherever we can, we actually identify suitable women. And in some cases, it's really about giving people the chance to be able to grow because we all have areas of development. And now for us as BP, our new leadership that we actually formed because we, we went through a restructure post uh, the crafting of our strategy. And in our redesigned organization, we have 45% female representation at our executive level, which is up from, uh, which is up about 13% from what it previously was. And we now have equal representation at top management level. And it is actually a deliberate effort. And for me, I, I probably fit into the organization because if I look at some of my values and what I actually have defined as my purpose. I'm very passionate about making sure that we give women and particularly young women the opportunity to excel. And unfortunately, I mean, your biological clock is often in conflict with that career clock. And how do you make sure that as an organization, you create an environment that recognizes that and gives women the opportunity to be able to flourish and also make choices that don't put them in conflict with their consciences, if, if you get what I'm saying. Yes, and that is a tremendous achievement to drive and deliver on that transformation of attaining 45% female representation, of having parity at the top. It really is significant, and I'm so enthused by it and, and the result that you've achieved. Yes, absolutely. But it's been a team effort, but also it has come with some disappointments. And uh, by saying some disappointments, when you embark on such a change, sometimes you do get resistance. But I always say I'm someone who's quite courageous. So if I believe that this is the right thing, we take our people along and we embark on this journey. And yes, we have quite a few emerging leaders and as you can imagine, when sometimes when women are not given sufficient opportunity, they still then become emerging leaders. I often um, give an example. When I was in early leadership, I can count, I went through about probably five leadership programs. And I was often told, oh, you are such great talent. 
but you just need to get onto a development program and you go from one to the next and you watch your male counterparts get promoted. But deep down, you actually realize over some time that it actually is the softer skills that you lack. So the one thing that we are actually now working on is how do we give women that opportunity to hone in on some of the so, uh, softer skills such as, you know, networking, um, you know, managing, determining how to read the room um, and some of those softer dynamics that actually improve your confidence levels to be able to command your space in a boardroom, so to speak. And I think those are some of the things that we as women should, in positions of leadership, we need to actually get a lot more women come along with us and, you know, work on the softer skills because, you know, I always say technical competence, they are actually unmatched. You know, you, you often find that women work very hard, work long hours and have a lot to juggle. But because there's a lot to juggle, they actually don't get to focus a lot on the softer skills because they just, they believe, you know, you've got certain tasks to do and deliver on them. But when you start getting onto a leadership journey, it's a lot more about getting the work done. It's a really interesting point that you raise. And frequently, networking has been cited as one huge area of weakness amongst women, that in terms of building their business networks, that's, that is a weak link. Yes, it is. And I've also learned the hard way as well. It's something I'm still growing at. I recognize it as skill I need to hone in on. Um, I have a mentor that is helping me work through it. In fact, she's um, the chairman of Anglo-American here in South Africa, and she's been phenomenal in helping me you know, work through some of these dynamics. And some of it is really driven by how we are raised. You know, unfortunately, I mean, I don't have daughters. I've got sons, but I've got nieces. And uh, I say to, 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 to my nieces, you actually just need to be bold, even when you're in school, don't assume that a lady must be prim and proper. And, you know, when someone tells you behave like a lady, like, no, I want to behave like a man. What's, what's the difference? And we need to just encourage our girl children to recognize that they can be anything that they want without actually creating those boundaries that exist. You raised an important point earlier when you were talking about the oil and energy industry being male-dominated, but also the fact that our environment within the African context is also very patriarchal. And within that notion, that's where we, we have these cultural conflicts, never mind what happens at an industry level, but it's our society influences Yes, society influences it. And, you know, society is quite broad. You've got, you know, the religious aspects, you've got traditional and, you know, some of the cultural practices that take place. And these matters tend to be very complex because they, they speak deeply to somebody's values and emotions. So not one size fits all. But my overarching principle is always that, you know, you need to make a decision that you can personally live, live with. And when you look back, still be convinced that it was right. And sometimes it means walking away from a setting that does not suit you if you believe that you actually want to grow 
as an individual in the corporate environment because the, the, the two of them don't often merge because for many of us from African cultures, the woman is expected to bear the children, to cook, to clean up, even if they have a, a corporate job. And, you know, it takes boldness, courage, but also the one thing that I think we sometimes forget is being authentic with ourselves. And if we truly know that we can't do this, then call it out and I'll give you an example. So I, when I had my second son, I just knew I wasn't going to make it, but I knew that I'm actually most fulfilled in corporate. I can't, I can't imagine myself being a stay-at-home mom, but I realized it was very challenging because my son had also been quite sickly when he was young. And, you know, I just, I simply put it on the table and I was actually surprised at how my mother-in-law responded, very cooperative. She actually came through, took control and recognized that I actually was much happier working and not being, you know, a stay-at-home mom in a sense. So I could fulfill both agendas. I could get home and find time with the family, but I could also work. And I recognize that that doesn't happen to everybody. But I think what is universal is we need to all find the courage to speak up. And when you do speak up, you will actually know whether you are in the right setting or not. And then you can make decisions because you have, you have communicated what you want as an individual. And I implore all women, we could be struggling in whatever context, but for as long as you speak your truth, you are then able to make decisions because you will observe from people's reactions how you know, they respond to what actually makes you happy and what is what support you need. And in environments where people are not supportive, you then have to sit back and decide whether it's an environment you want to be in. It can be a very emotional choice, but as long as you are aware that you've actually communicated. That's such a practical example. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Today, we're talking to the CEO of BP Southern Africa, Ms. Tylo Modjapilo. Being <clears throat> an effective leader carries significant responsibility, and it's often a hard choice to make. What made you choose this path? Choices. <laughs> if I can, and I'll start from a very young age. You know, for me, I never really wanted to conform at a young age. So I often describe myself as someone who doesn't fit in and I don't want to fit in. And I think I was fortunate in the sense that my dad had always wanted me to achieve my best. And uh, I think in a sense, sometimes I, I, I do think he wanted me to be a boy. I never had a, a doll as a kid. I always had toy cars. So I think that was one of the first things I, I picked up as a bit odd about myself. But now I've, I found myself both in my school career as well as my working career, taking charge and control of situations that need problem solving, but also without authority. 
And when I say without authority, I'm someone who actually wants to work with people. And after some years, as I had started my leadership journey, I took some time off to define my purpose. You know, you, you get, there's some pivotal moments in your life where you start asking yourself, what is it that I want to achieve? And who am I? So I took some time and I looked back at various things that had happened to me over the years. And I started to hone it in and figured, actually, what makes me happy is putting my energies into uplifting other women, but also grooming better men. I cannot stand badly behaved men. And when I say badly behaved, I am talking about men who are not inclusive and focus a lot on patriarchy. So in all the work that I do, um, I want to make sure that women are uplifted. So why did I choose this path? I believe I have the agency. It, you know, leadership also gives you the agency to be able to influence your thoughts and ideas in a constructive manner. And this is one area where I think me being in leadership helps me achieve it. And, you know, this is a, a path that I will continue. I don't know what the far, the far out future holds, but I do believe that by working a lot to uplift women, we will get a lot better. And at, at least around me, I know, I mean, the universe is quite big, but within the environments where I influence, I really want to make sure that when I go to bed, I go to bed peacefully, knowing that I have done right by another woman. And I've also been able to influence another man to actually see things a little differently. Those are so significant of being able to help almost in a way stakeholder management as you're trying to evolve people's thinking on what the correct paths are because things were done differently in the past, but our future is certainly a better place and space for women. Yes, absolutely. It certainly is. And, you know, if you think about it, if you have, as a woman, you are in leadership, you give hope to younger leaders. And as you think about it, you can only make them a lot more confident. But again, we will only make them confident if we are authentic about um, that leadership journey that we are, you know, embarking on and about what drives us, who drives us, but also sometimes sharing some of our failures. I mean, earlier on, I shared about um, me not getting a scholarship. That's failure, but it doesn't mean that in the midst of failure, you would not succeed. But also, I think being able to demonstrate some vulnerability and getting our male counterparts to demonstrate vulnerability is also something that we must focus on a lot more. In a way, you're reminding me of a conversation that I had with Dr. Pumzile Mlabonuka, where she was saying that one of her acts at the UN was almost trying to re-engineer the anti-apartheid playbook, where she was getting men to take more responsibility for their actions towards women. And you highlighted this earlier when you spoke about gender equity, Traditionally, it's always been about women fighting for women, and we've kind of neglected the male side of the equation. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually, when you, when you talk about topics like this, uh, you know, I get very passionate about it because 
I am quite disappointed that, you know, we are in 2021 now and we still do not have a lot of men actually driving the gender equity um, agenda. It's women. We get to, you know, Women's International Women's Day and National Women's Day, and it is women that are speaking and owning their gender. And, you know, I would like to see, you know, one year where all women remain silent and men are actually advocating and men are actually in the workplace creating those opportunities. I have seen, though, however, you know, some areas of um, excellence from men. And I must say, I mean, I myself am an example. I actually have been given great opportunities by some men. The one gentleman I worked with, he's actually Kenyan, Gerald Mahinda. He actually was extremely supportive, really gave me meaningful challenges, grew me and really got me into leadership space onto the global platform. And that is one person that you, you, you can honestly say, here is somebody who actually is genuinely working towards female empowerment. But we need more and more, and we also need more in the policymaking space, because sometimes we do create bills, policies, but we never implement them because the custodians of policy are male, and we need them to make sure that those policies are upheld. And we need to get to a position that they actually start owning this agenda. And this is when I refer to grooming better men, because once you've got better men, you don't have to ask them. They know it's the right thing to do. Grooming better men. And in a way, I think part of this responsibility also falls onto mothers as they are educating their their sons. Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned earlier on, I've got two sons and in my home, I don't have any gender. We all do all tasks. Nothing is preserved for any gender. And quite frankly, as they get into the school environment, they actually are very clear about what mommy speaks to them about. You are on equal footing with a woman and you must see it the way it's demonstrated in the home. I expect you as you go out, you are an ambassador of our home. People see you, (laughs) see me through you. So I'm expecting you as you become a responsible adult. I've got a, um, a son who's going on 17 now. I need you to actually speak up when you see any wrong against a woman. And I also need you to own that agenda and make sure you don't do any wrong. And I think more and more of us, for those of us who are mothers to boy children, need to educate them because if you don't do that, you actually don't break the scourge of gender bias, but also another very difficult topic, you know, gender-based violence. It is sometimes driven by the fact that you have a patriarchal society that actually does not recognize that it's actually a crime in a sense to engage in gender-based violence, but also it's just not humane and they should actually look at it from that angle. So for all of us who are mothers, absolutely, but we need to make sure that we are present. And you know, you'll probably ask, oh my goodness, how can you be present? When you're working, you've got a corporate life. And this is when I start talking about work-life integration. A lot of people talk about work-life balance. I talk about work-life integration. My family knows a lot about what happens in my life from a 
BP Southern Africa sense. And I also make an effort to know, to know what's happening in their lives. It's very difficult to completely separate the two if you want to be at peace, but also in the workplace, they tend to know a lot about my family. So if I have to make time to attend to something very important, I actually make sure that I do. And I encourage other females or other mothers in the workplace and where I work to do likewise, because ultimately you want to look back at your life and be happy about the choices that you make. Considering that skill of rather than saying work-life balance, because in some conversations I've had with people, they almost work to the point of falling over and then they realize, okay, my balance hasn't happened. How do you make work-life integration work for you? Okay. How do I make it work for me? Mm. <laughs> so when I look at it, let's, let's put it this way. The starting point is my family is my foundation. So I will not work in an organization that doesn't recognize that. And if we're just being honest about, the, about it, when you look for an organization or if you make a deliberate effort to look for an organization that you want to work in, we all look for different things. Some people look for money. Some people simply just look for an opportunity. For me, I want an organization that recognizes that my family is the foundation. I've turned down some offers and roles simply because when I then go and look at the culture, the values that they emulate, they're not in line with my values and what, I'm, what I actually want to achieve. So I'm fortunate to be in an organization like BP that recognizes that, but it was also a deliberate choice that I made as in, you know, if I'm going into an organization, I need to make sure that that is recognized. And yes, there will be times that you work long hours but at the same time, there will be times that you don't have to work long hours. So how do you create that flexible working environment? And this is what I am driving as well in our organization. Create a flexible working environment where people can actually determine when to work and when to take off. Of course, you do have core hours. However, you want to be able to give people the flexibility to integrate, balance their lives accordingly. So some of it is a function of the organization you work for, I think largely the organization you work for. But then again, you have to understand what your foundation is and you, what, what you won't sacrifice. Over the conversation, you've talked about some of your highs, some of your disappointments, but the word that I will take out of our conversation today will be courage. When you spoke about doing things and, for instance, uh, not getting into Oxford, but still being able to get into Cambridge as being part of the, the Oxbridge environment and Ivy uh, universities. So the question I want to ask you now is about some of your factors for success and what you consider to be some of those key drivers. I'll start with the first one. Authenticity. And when I say authenticity, you've got to understand yourself first. Take time to understand who you are and what it is you want. And once you understand that, you'll actually know your limits and when to walk away from something. The second one is courage. So you spoke about courage earlier on. I keep talking about it. I mean, I often question myself and I'm like, you know what? I'm actually going to do this. 
I'm going to have the courage to do something. But forge ahead. Sometimes it's very difficult and you hesitate and you forge ahead. But however, in everything that you do, try and bring either have a sense of community or bring people along with you because the challenge is you could have so much courage that you leave everyone behind and it becomes an epic failure and you can't recover from it because there is no one around you as you move. And the last one is just humility. Humility gets you through some of the challenges you have because it gives you an opportunity to learn. It also gives you a common sense of purpose with the people around you and you're simply able to engage. And sometimes as a leader, you don't know everything. That's why we've got subject matter experts. But if you demonstrate and practice humility, you'll learn a lot more. And sometimes you get to a point where you actually start learning and understanding a particular issue much more than the subject matter expert because you've allowed yourself to learn. And if you just carry that with you, at least for me, that is what has got me through the many years and the different organizations I've worked. I've implemented, you know, big projects. I have done process improvements. I have recommended changes, really done transformations, but you can't do that if you don't have humility and humility also allows you to respect other people. Those are great characteristics, authenticity, courage, and humility. Can you tell us about some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? It's interesting because as we're speaking um, and I reflect, a lot of my instances are probably not in my working career, but when, I'm, when I was young. And some of the pivotal moments, my maternal grandmother would go through all hoops just to make sure that she comes to see me go off to school when I was going to boarding school, she would, you know, cook. And she always said, you are going to be successful. And she's not been to school, by the way. So, and she lives out in the village, but she always made that effort. And those are memories that stick with you a lot and you just carry them. And every time you feel like you want to give up on something, there are people that, you know, you think about that take you out of it. And then I spoke about my instance with, um, with Cambridge. And then I also had a horrible incident of racism in the workplace. And um, I don't think I handled it well because I was probably, and I was younger at the time, I was probably labeled emotional, but I was terribly triggered. And um, if I were to do it again, I probably would do it a little differently because now I'm probably a lot more mature. But that for me was a defining moment that I will not let my color define how far I can go and what I cannot do. And as a result, it has actually given me the resolve to be a lot stronger. Those are probably some of the defining moments. I mean, I can go into some of my successes in the workplace, but I consider that ways of work. And you're, you are achieving because it's expected of you. Successes are, are great. Of course, they're, they're fantastic. But I find that it's those moments almost of failure that we learn from most of all. Absolutely. And this is what I say to my teams, even as I speak. 
I always want people to see me or I want my colleagues to see me as a leader that they can relate to. Because the reality is a lot of people struggle internally with their failures and it doesn't help in this day and age of social media because they go into all social media platforms and it's only the good, great stories that come out. But deep down inside, people have got their own internal conflicts they are dealing with. They have got their own failures and challenges. And sometimes it's challenges that they really don't have answers to, but no one can speak about it because, you know, it's not right to put it out there. But by relating those failures is what gives people the strength to be able to recognize that actually I'm not alone in this. I can come through and I can work it through and, or I can even feel if it's something not too personal, you can go to the next person and ask for help and literally find a solution with them maybe. And in the absence of that, if you create an environment as a leader where all you talk about is successes, you actually don't grow more leaders. You are so right. And if you can learn from those failures, then it's actually a success in the making. Absolutely. You know, for me, I always find gratitude and happiness when I see someone who's acknowledged that they've failed in something and try something different. And why? Because you create a learning environment. So when someone fails, how do you get them to acknowledge that they have failed and probably take accountability because sometimes the reality is in the corporate world, you have to take accountability. But in the process of taking accountability, you give them an opportunity to rectify. And when they actually succeed, I think that's the biggest moment of learning. And we need to make sure that we create those moments of learning in every organization. I wanted to ask you a question regarding women who have influenced you. You mentioned your grandmother, and I'm assuming she must have had a a significant impact on you, always being there, sending you off to school, packing the food. Who else have been some of the strong women or role models or influences in your life? Yeah, interestingly enough, it wasn't just my grandmother. So I was also fortunate to have grown up amongst quite a few matriarchs in terms of my mother's um, family. So there were quite a few women and very strong women. And yes, in those days, they were nurses, teachers, you know, but I actually observed how two of them conducted their daily business, just normal people, very diligent never missed a day at work, always came home and imparted words of wisdom. And, you know, we can speak about the most, you know, glamorous or people who are out there, but those women have actually influenced how I've performed and developed. But another person that has influenced me, I don't know her, I've never seen her, but I've read so many of her books, Maya Angelou. And she also talks about failure quite a lot and coming through from that failure. There's one quote, and I might say it's not so well, but um, it, it goes something like this. You know, each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing possibly or without claiming it, she's standing up for all women. I remember reading that and I actually wrote, put a poster on it and I thought, 
by me standing up for myself, it therefore means I'm standing up for other women. And how do I actually make sure that someone else who comes after me doesn't have to experience probably some of the not so good things that I would have experienced. And that for me is a sign of success. And then there's so many other women that we can speak about, but I think those two have really influenced. I mean, Maya Angelou influenced my reading and um, the matriarchs in my family have been the people who've made me quite successful. Those are powerful words, powerful characters that have been around you as your, your support structure and system. We are unfortunately running out of time. So as we close out today's show, please can I ask you to share a few words of motivation or inspiration to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us on the continent? Be authentic. Have the courage. But also, when you're authentic about who you are, you'll then understand what you need to do to grow and become better at it. When you make the choice to become your true self and be seen by being vulnerable and being honest about your capabilities, you gain the freedom to lead. Those are wonderful words. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to host you. Thank you, Dr. Malka. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the CEO of BP Southern Africa, Ms. Tylo Modjapilo.